Well, uh, good morning. Uh, thanks again for being here, uh, for bringing the church into uh, this room here. Um, if you're new, uh, thank you so much for, for being with us. I know that uh, there are a lot of churches in the area that uh, you could have chosen to, to worship at um, this morning, but we thank you that you're here with us and that you could be part of our community and uh, the things that God is doing in, in, in our midst. Uh, we're in the second week of the season in the kind of Christian calendar called Advent here, where we uh, lead up to uh, Christmas Day. It's four Sundays before Christmas that help us to kind of walk towards uh, Easter. The, I'm sorry, Christmas. The Advent means the, the coming, and it's a building up of anticipation uh, for Christmas Day. And we're in this series called The Ultimate Missionary because we're trying to talk about how Jesus' coming uh, to our world was the ultimate act of missions. We began last week by talking about what it meant for Jesus to, to be God and to incarnate into human flesh, to be wrapped in, in baby skin and flesh and bone and blood, and then to enter into our world. Uh, t- today, I want to talk about what it means that Jesus, the, the, the other description of Jesus, as we'll see uh, in John's gospel, is that he was full of grace. Next week, we'll see what it means that he's full of truth. And then uh, the third week from today, our, uh, our uh, workers in the Middle East will be coming and sharing the word of God with us. And then uh, that will take us to, to Christmas Day. So that's where we're going the next few weeks. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at John chapter uh, 1, and then we're going to look at John chapter 3. John chapter 1, verse 14, this is kind of the overarching theme of uh, this series, John chapter 1, verse 14, and then we're going to flip the page to chapter 3, read verses 16 and 17. This is God's word, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is God's word. We're going to uh, kind of uh, build into this text, but before we do, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, Jesus. Well, as we get to this, this, this fact that Jesus, the ultimate missionary and the message that he came to bring, I want to uh, kind of ramp up to that by talking about the message that our world gives to us to compare and to contrast these two messages to see why it was that Jesus absolutely had to be full of grace, as it says in John 1, 14, and what that means for us. Okay? So uh, three thoughts that I, I want to lead us through. And the first one is this. Our world is starving uh, for grace. Our world is starving for grace. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking with a man, a teacher of the law, one of the great teachers of Israel. His name is Nicodemus. Chapter 3, verse 1 tells us all about him. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a baller in Jewish culture. Okay, he's one of the leaders of, of their people. Uh, Jesus himself calls him, you are Israel's teacher in chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, he is a man of status. He's a man of recognition. He's gotten to this place of honor. How did he get that? Because he met certain requirements. There are certain things in that culture that they prized. And as long as he had these things, he became respected. You go from a normal person, Nicodemus, he's a friend. He hangs out with all of us. And then he meets certain requirements. And then he becomes rewarded with this position of becoming this great teacher that everybody respects. He knows the law. He memorizes the Jewish, the Hebrew scripture. 
He takes care of, of the people of God. He knows the commandments. He worships in the temple. And all of a sudden, he's elevated to the status because he's met these requirements. He gets this reward of status and respect because that's the way it worked in that world. And that's the way it works in our world as well. There are certain requirements in order for you to get some kind of a reward. If you meet the requirements, then you get rewarded. It's not a stretch for us to think about. Especially in this season, you hear songs like um, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's been naughty or nice. Right? This is how it is in, in, in Christmas, right? As you're growing up. Maybe, as maybe some of y'all still believe in Santa Claus. If you do, then the message of Santa Claus is if you're good, then here you get what's on your list. And if you're bad, you get a lump of coal, right? You get a bunch of coal in your stocking. The message of the world is here. There's a bunch of requirements. If you meet the requirements and you get the reward. Isn't that how the world works? I was reading this week some letters. Children's wrote, children wrote these letters to Santa Claus, and they're talking about, here's what I want for Christmas. And you, you read these all the time. Some of these letters talked about kids who, uh, I want a puppy. Dear Santa, I want a puppy, or I want a pony, or uh, I want... Um, mom and dad to be happy or whatever it is that these people are writing. This one four-year-old girl wrote, Dear Santa, I'll take anything because I haven't been very good this year. And I'll take anything because I haven't been very good this year. Isn't that how our world, even at the most charitable time of year, isn't that the message that they send? That in order for you to get something, you have to be something. In order for you to get rewarded, you have to meet these requirements. And it's not just in, in, in the world of Santa Claus or Christmas. It happens in all of life. You want to get into a good college. You want to get rewarded with that degree from you know, whatever university you want to go to, whatever college you want to go to. You want to get into that magnet program in high school, then you've got to meet these requirements. And if you don't meet it, then you don't get the reward. It's like this in relationships also. You want, a, you want a, a boyfriend who's a 10, then they say you have to be a 10, right? You, you look at these couples where you're like, ah, it doesn't quite make sense. She's so much better looking than the guy. How in the world did that happen? It doesn't make sense to people because if you want to be with a 10, then you've got to be a 10. That's what the world says. If you want to marry a prince, then you've got to be a princess. Or you want to win the princess, then you've got to be a prince. You can't be a pauper and get the princess, right? You want to marry someone tall, dark, and handsome, you have to be equally that, as a, as a woman, right? There's a requirement. And if you meet the requirement, then you get the reward. That's how it is in all of life. It happens in sports also. How many of you guys have understood what it means, means to be the last person picked? Because you didn't meet the requirements of being tall enough or strong enough or fast enough or good enough. That's how our world works. It, it works like that in, in, in the movies as well. And every once in a while, every once in a while, there comes a story that captures our collective soul because it flips the script upside down and causes us to say, you know what, could there be something deeper out there than just requirements being met and then you get the reward? Could it be that there's something else out there, another way to get the reward? And so you've got this socially awkward, pale, clumsy girl, call her Bella. And she's it's completely weird, and everyone is like, you know, she's just real plain Jane, and, and, she, and she is just completely awestruck by this vampire. He's sparklingly beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that how they described it? Sparklingly beautiful, and this otherworldly kind of creature. And now all of a sudden, you've got this normal kind of woman, nothing really special about her, and she's been uh, just captivated by this vampire, but the vampire is completely stricken with her as well. And then all of a sudden, I think it's in the first or second book. I don't know where it is. But, but then there's this werewolf, right? This werewolf creature. Oh, my gosh, he's a hunk. And when he takes off his shirt, all everyone who's watching it faints, right? You've got this other guy. Now you've got these two superhuman men, 
who are fighting for this normal person. And you wonder, is it really true? And why? you wonder, why is it that 40-year-old women the world over line up at midnight in order to watch this show and they scream like teenage schoolgirls with giddish delight? Oh, my goodness. And you ask them, what's this movie about? It's about a vampire and a werewolf. And they fight for teens, Team Edward, Team Jacob. Team, wake up to reality because that's not happening. But why is it that they're so enamored by it? Because there's something in them that says, could it be true that this average, normal person can be fought over by these amazing creatures? We say, could it really be true? It's the ultimate underdog story. And that's why the theme of, of underdogs overcoming is always a theme of some of the best movies. That's why we cheer for Seabiscuit, isn't it? It's why we cheer for the average Joes. And we cheer for Rocky and, and Rudy and uh, 300, right? Because 300 against this entire armies of, of Persia. We cheer for them because there's something about it that says, could it be true that the underdog, without meeting the requirements, you can actually get a reward? See, our world is starving for that kind of grace that I want to have even though I know I don't deserve it. And so stories come along like the one you've heard. You've heard the story, I'm sure. You may not remember it, but 2006 it was in, in, um, in, in New York City. I'm sorry, in, in one of the, the suburbs of New York or New York State. The high school is called Grace Athena. There's a guy named Jason McElwain. Uh, again, you may not know the name, but you've seen the video, I'm sure. But it's a story of this guy who, who loved basketball with all of his heart, was passionate about it. And for four years, he was part of the basketball team at Grace Athena, but never played because, you see, he was autistic. So he could never play on the team, but he loved the game so much that he was willing to be the student manager. Every game, he would sit on the end of the bench, and he would wear a, a, a shirt and a tie. He would give water to the players. Whenever they would shoot, he would catch the balls and he would pass it back to them, do whatever he could to get around the game of basketball. For four years, he did that faithfully. So the last home game of the year, his coach said, in order to honor Jason, we'll strip off the shirt and tie. We'll give him a jersey, his own jersey. Right? He's probably not going to get in the game, but at least that he could feel like he's part of the team. And so they sat him on the end of the bench. With four minutes left in the game, Grace Athena is winning big time. And so the coach calls him into the game and says, Jason, get in the game. And he is completely shocked. And so he runs in the game. He's excited. And the whole school knows about Jason. Right? There's a video. You see the video on YouTube. Gets the ball. First shot he takes. He shoots a three-pointer. It's an air ball. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, this is not looking very good. Second time he gets the ball, he dribbles for a layup, and he misses a layup. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be embarrassing. Third time he gets the ball, he shoots a three-pointer, swishes it. And the crowd goes ballistic. Everyone is like, oh, my goodness. And they're yelling and they're screaming and they're jumping up and down. Second time, next time down, he catches the ball, shoots another three-pointer, swishes it. And the people are just, it's crazy. It is utterly unbelievable. People are, are jumping up and down. Third time down, he shoots another three-pointer, swishes it. Four, five, six three-pointers in a row. And the place goes crazy. And when the final buzzer sounds, the, 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 the stand's empty, and everyone just runs out. People are crying. People are yelling. People are cheering. And they hoist Jason up on his shoulders, and he's cheering, and he's screaming. And everyone is just completely in love with the story. And one local news, uh, news station airs it. Another local station airs it. And then before you know it, ESPN is airing it. Peyton Manning, President George W. at the time, Michael Jordan, all these people, Magic Johnson, line up to meet 
Jason McElwain. Why? Because there's something about the human psyche that drive is driven to stories of the underdog. Where people who don't deserve it because they didn't meet the requirements, he wasn't smart enough, let alone tall enough, let alone athletic enough, let alone good enough to get in the game. And yet he gets in the game by some act of grace. And then he just captures the collective souls of a nation. Because our world is thirsting for grace. Why is it? that that video is played over and over and over on YouTube. Why is it that I sit there and I watch this over and over and over again? Because I see in myself so much more of Jason McElwain than I see of Michael Jordan. I see in myself somebody who can't meet the requirements, who can't do it well, and I'm longing and I'm thirsting for the grace that tells me that it's okay and I can still be rewarded. You see, that's what our world is longing for because we know that there's so much of us in him that we haven't done it right. And our world is thirsting for grace. The second thing that we see here then is without grace, the truth would kill us. It says in chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. If Jesus was just full of truth without grace, then that truth would kill us. Jack Nicholson was right in A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth that you don't meet up to the requirements. Why is it that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? Here's why. Because he was a most, one of the most respected teachers of Israel. And in order to maintain your status as a teacher of Israel, in, to be respected, is you couldn't be chummy-chummy with this rabbi Jesus because he was teaching things that went against the Jewish notion of religion and salvation and everything that was right. Because this Jesus was teaching these strange new thoughts that in order for Jesus, for, in order for someone to be a person of stature, you could not... Be friends. You could not listen to the teachings of this rabbi. So Nicodemus comes at night because he realizes that what he's doing is risking social and political and and, and occupational suicide. And so he comes to him at night and he says, Jesus, how, according to you, do I get into the kingdom? And Jesus says, here's the truth. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, you know what? I can't do that. And Jesus says, you are absolutely right. You don't meet the requirements, Nicodemus, and neither do you or I, you or me. We don't meet these requirements. So what happens when the truth comes out that, hey, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Okay, you're not good enough to get in the kingdom of heaven. You're not good enough to get into this college. You're not good enough to get with this girl. You're not good enough to, have the, to make the sports team. What happens when we don't meet the requirements? What happens to that truth? Here's what happens. There's a gap between the requirement, which leads to the reward, and the reality. This is where I am, and this is a requirement. I don't meet it. What happens with this gap here? We do one of two things. Either we'll see this gap, and we'll begin to, to, to kill ourselves and to believe what other people tell us. You're not good enough. You'll never, ever be able to get with this person. You'll never be able to make it on this team. You'll never get in this college. You're not good enough, and we can beat ourselves up. That's one way we respond to it. Another way we can respond to it is to say, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm good enough to get to this place. I'm going to make sure that I meet the requirement because God, 
gosh darn it, I want that reward. I want that reward. And so we do everything we can in order to get to that place. And here's what happens is truth without grace will kill us. And so you, hear, you have these parents who say you're, to their kids, you have to get into Harvard. You have to get into Yale. You have to get into Stanford. And the kid says, I'm not good enough. And the parent drives them into the ground and practically kills their kid in order for them to meet the requirement. You've got this guy who realizes that he's not good enough to make it on this athletic team. And so he works and he works and he works and he works and he kills himself to try and meet the requirements so that he can get the reward. You've got this girl who's not good enough for this guy. And so what does she do? She looks at the kinds of people that he's dated in the past. They're 10 pounds thinner than me, lighter than me. They look like this. They've got this kind of body figure. They've got this kind of face. They've got this kind of lips. And they do whatever they can to get to that place. And they literally kill themselves in order to meet this requirement. Because truth without grace will kill us. The fact that we cannot meet the requirements. It's going to kill us unless we realize that the only thing that can buffer this gap between the requirement and the reality is grace. For us to come and to say, you know what? I cannot do it, but would you please grant it to me anyways? There's a story on, it's been kind of circulated on NPR since 2008. Uh, it's a story of a guy named Julio Diaz, works in, in, in New York City. Every day after work, he would take the subway home, get off a stop early at the Bronx, and he would stop in at his favorite diner, and he would eat. And then he would take the, um, you know, take the walk home. Um, always wanted to stop at that diner. One day he got off, the, uh, got off the subway and was walking up the stairs, and his teenage boy confronted him with a knife, and he said, give me your money. So Julio said, okay, okay, you, know, you want my money here, and he gave, took out his wallet and gave it to him. The, boy was walk, the teenager was walking away. Julio said, wait, wait. If... You're going to be going out on the streets of New York all night, robbing people, mugging people. Then here, you should at least take my jacket because it's cold outside. And they gave him his jacket, and the kid was completely stunned. <laughs> I'm mugging you, and you're giving me your why, – why would he do it? He just kind of stared at him dumbfounded. And so Julio said to him, hey, you know, if you're so desperate that you're risking your future and your security in order to get money from me – then you need this more than I do. I was just going to go eat at this diner, just have my dinner, and then go home. And if you want, you could join me, and I'll buy you dinner. So the kid's like, okay, I'll go with you. And so they go together to this diner. As they're eating, this guy says to him, hey, why are you, why are you so nice to all these people? Like, you act like you know all these people that, like, they're, they're your cousins or something. Like, ah, I just, you know, I just want to be nice to them. I just want to be kind to them because I know that kindness will always be rewarded. And so they eat their meal, and, and at the end, uh, Julio says to the kid, he's like, hey, uh, I wanted to, to buy you dinner tonight, but since you've got my wallet, I'm not able to do it. So would you give me my wallet back? And so the kid says, oh, yeah, sure, and gives him his wallet. <laughs> and so Julio pays for the, for the meal, and this kid is just completely dumbfounded by grace. Right? That grace ended up changing his life. And he said, as the kid was leaving, Julio said to him, hey, one, just one more thing. I've given you all this stuff. Can you give me something? He's like, what can I give you? He's like, will you, uh, will you give me your knife back? Will, will you give me your knife? And the kid says, sure. And he, he gives him his knife. And he realizes in that moment 
that the truth was he didn't deserve anything. In fact, he, he deserved juvenile delinquency. He deserved jail. He deserved to get the tar beat out of him. Maybe some of us, if we had gotten the knife, would have said, ah, now I'm going to get you. But he didn't do that. He says, just go. Basically what Jesus says, go and, and sin no more. And this guy goes off and, and he leaves. Because, you see, he knew the truth that he wasn't good enough. He didn't deserve any of this stuff, but grace touched him. See, truth without grace will kill us every time, every time. And so here comes Jesus, and he says, Nicodemus, you don't make it into the kingdom of heaven. You're not good enough to make it in the kingdom of heaven. But the beauty of what he says, the beauty of what Jesus says in, in, in verse 16 and 17, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The truth is, Nicodemus, you don't make it. And the rest of the world would condemn you and say, you're not good enough. You don't meet the standards. You can't get the requirement of the kingdom of heaven. That's the truth. But the grace comes in and says, I didn't come, however, to condemn you. I came that you might be saved through me. So the last thing that we see here, the last thing that we see that we have to understand, Jesus Christ, the ultimate missionary, is Jesus comes overflowing with grace. Okay, get this, overflowing with grace. What does that mean? Here's what John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When it talks in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says Jesus comes full of grace. It literally is saying he's overflowing with grace. You, you eat sometimes at Thanksgiving, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so full, I feel like I'm going to throw up. When you're so full, that stuff begins to come out of you, it overflows out of you. Jesus Christ, full of grace, is overflowing with grace in such a way that Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that there's grace enough for the first 10 people who come and say, Jesus, can I come in? He doesn't say that. I'm thankful because if it was for the first 2,000 people, first 1 million people, we come pretty far on the edge of history towards the end that most of the people who've ever lived have lived long before us. I'm grateful that Jesus doesn't say that it's only available for the first 200 people that come because that's all the grace I've got. Instead, it says he comes overflowing with grace in such a way that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. Okay, understand the depth of what that means. That whether, and he's not, he's talking about your uncle that you never thought could possibly receive grace. He's talking about your grandfather. He's talking about your brother. He's talking about your sister who's living a promiscuous lifestyle. He's talking about your friend. Whoever believes in him, grace, his doors are open so much wider than anything that the world could ever know. He says, God loves the world in this way that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have life that is eternal. See, the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is that Jesus overflows in grace in such a way that where we hear stories, you hear stories like Jason McElwain and, and stories of grace and, and stories where the underdog wins and the undeserving completely doesn't deserve it, but they get it. And afterwards, the news reporters say, you know what? You don't see that too often. And then they chuckle and then they move on to the weather. 
Or don't you wish we heard stories like that more often? And then they chuckle, and then they move on to a commercial break. See, stories of grace in our world are rare, but stories of grace in the Gospels are common. You see, there's a theme and a predictability as you read through the accounts of Jesus. Here's the the theme. The more busted a person is, the more they are attracted to the person of Jesus Christ. The more broken a person is, the more Jesus gravitates towards them. It is a Samaritan woman who had five husbands that Jesus Christ spends his longest, has his longest conversation with. It was a woman who was bleeding for over 10 years and everyone else says you're an outcast that Jesus comes and he has this moment with. It's a leper that no one would get within hundreds of yards of and they would scream unclean that Jesus comes and he says welcome and he touches them and he holds them and he risks social disgrace. The more seedy a character was, a woman caught in adultery, everyone is ready to stone her. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And for the first time, she looks into the eyes of a man who looks at her like no other man ever would. And doesn't look at her either as an object of of, of lust or an object of disgrace. But looks at her with eyes of compassion and eyes of grace. And captivates her and cripples her heart with grace that is so amazing that he says, go and, and sin no more. There's a certain thing about these people that realizes that Jesus is full of grace and that they're drawn to him. People that the rest of the world considered to be outcasts, they had a gravitational, a magnetic pull towards this person of Jesus because they knew that he was different. Because they knew that they didn't meet the requirements and that truth would kill them, but something about them understood that there's such a thing called grace that bridges a gap between the requirements and the reality of where they are, and that alone could do it. This week, I was uh, spending some time with, with Manny. I, I apologize that I always talk about her, but it's just kind of always in my, my mind. So we're, we're hanging out, and we're in uh, our, our room, and she's playing with the books on Olivia's nightstand, and she's got all his Bible, and she opens it up, and she's like, uh, Mommy's Bible, and she's like flipping through it, and I'm watching her make sure she doesn't rip any pages out because she loves doing that, and she finds this other book. We were gifted with a um, Hunger Games trilogy, and so she pulls down, and she's almost like crushes her because it's so heavy, and she puts it on the puts it on the ground, and I'm kind of doing my own thing, and after a moment, she's, you know, she's like jib-jabbering away and, and talking, and then after a, a little while, there's there's silence, and I look over at what she's doing, and she's got a book that we were uh, going to send to Olivia's brother, and she's got a pen, and she's like writing all over this book. And uh, I said, uh-oh, Manny. And she like stops, and she looks up. I was like, Manny, did you do that? She's hold- I mean, she's holding the pen, and no one else is going to write like that, like all scribbly. I was like, Manny, did you do that? And she's like, Manny did it. I was like, Manny, you have to say I'm sorry. And she refused. She said, no. I said, Manny, did you do this? And she said, Manny did it. I said, you have to say I'm sorry. She said, no, she wouldn't say sorry. And so typically in the moment, I would, I would deal with it right there. But I had, to, I had to do something. So I walked out of the room. And she followed me to my computer, to, the, to our dining table. And I said, Manny, you say I'm sorry. And she said, no. And so after a while, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some other stuff. And she 
uh, wants to sit up on, on the table. And so I sit her up so that she can see what's on the table. And she looks and there's a bag of Doritos, buffalo, cheese, fire, whatever, that she, she loves to eat these Doritos. And she says, she says, Daddy, I want a chip. And I looked at her and I'm like, are you serious? Uh, you wrote in this book something that cannot be undone and you won't say sorry and you have the audacity to ask me for a chip. See, so in this moment, listen, I'm not talking how I'm like Jesus because I'm not, because Jesus would have responded differently. I'm talking about how, how just look at Manny. How, how can you ask daddy for a chip when you did all this bad stuff? I said, Manny, if you want a chip, you have to say, I'm sorry. And she said, no. And so she's just kind of like staring. And so I go off and I'm typing on my computer, sending out an email. And she's just staring at me. And after about a minute, she says, Appa, she says, daddy. And I looked at her and she says, I'm sorry. And so <laughs> I know what she, I know what she's not really sorry. She just wants to eat a chip, but you know, so I gave her a chip and I tried to give her the spiciest one so that she would learn her. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I gave her a chip and she's eating it and she's so happy. And I think about this and I wonder what does Manny have in common with a Samaritan woman at a well who's had four husbands. The fifth one she's living with now is not her husband. What does she have in common with that woman? What does she have in common with a leper? What does she have in common with a blind beggar? What does she have in common with these people, the blind, poor, lame, crippled, that Jesus opens the door of the kingdom and says, bring them in for a banquet? What does she have in common with them? The one thing that she has in common with them is that every single one of them realizes that they don't deserve what they're getting. And they don't deserve the very thing that they're asking for. See, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, give me this. I know I don't deserve it. I know I haven't met the requirements. But please, because of sheer grace and mercy, would you give to me what I don't deserve? And Jesus never glosses over their sin. He never says, okay, go and, and here's your, your, your toys and all this stuff and go, go have at it. He doesn't say that. He looks at them and he says, you're absolutely right you didn't meet the standards. You are absolutely correct that you have sinned and offended an altogether holy God who's eternally infinite, perfect. And you have offended him and the just punishment for your sins is hell and death forever and ever and ever. And nothing will change that. Nothing will ever change that that's what you deserve. But then he says to you and me today, yet on that cross... As Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the grace and love of God, we stand. See, this is the message that Jesus came to bring, full of grace and full of truth. You see, Jesus paid it all. And he says, find in me you're all in all. Don't go to these other things. You don't need to meet a certain standard. There's grace. There's grace and it's unending. As you look at this table of grace and the body of Christ that was broken and the blood of Christ that was shed, more than anything else, this is a table of grace. It says, to the broken, this is the body of Christ broken for you. To the broken, this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. To the college student who's addicted to drugs and to men and to pornography, this is the blood of Christ 
that was shed for you. To the wife who's dealing with feelings of failure because of the mistakes that you've made in your marriage. This is a table of grace. The body of Christ was broken for you. To the high school student who feels like you can't measure up to the standards of God. Feel like you're never good enough to come to church and be like these other people. The blood of Christ that was shed for you. To the sister who feels like you've been living in silent depression year after year after year. Does anyone notice me? This table is for you. To the young person who feels like your parents' marriage is falling apart and there's no hope. And you don't know how you can trust. Don't know how you can believe. This is a table of grace. And the body and blood was broken and shed for you. Person who feels like I'll never be able to make it. I'll never be able to make it. I'll never be able to forgive myself. Jesus says, you don't have to do that first because I've already forgiven you. A table of unending grace. See, Jesus Christ is the ultimate missionary because he came and not only preached the message of grace, but he began a revolution of grace because he lived and he died because of grace. And everything that you and I failed to do, he took upon himself. And everything that you and I failed to do, he succeeded in doing for you and for me. And grace alone is the only power, is the only force, is the only thing in this life that is strong enough to break the chains of sin and death and powerful enough to transform your life. It's the only force that is strong enough to cause a Korean person in the 50s to love a, Jew, uh, to love a Japanese person. It's the only force strong enough in this life to cause a Jewish person to love a Nazi German. It's the only force strong enough to cause you to forgive those who've hurt you. And the only thing strong enough to cause Almighty God to love and to forgive you. It's the grace of God. And it's for the broken. It's for sinners. It's for you. And it's for me. Let's pray together. The only thing that separates, the major thing, the one thing that separates Christianity from other worldviews and religions is this simple notion of grace. That we are completely undeserving. But because Christ paid it all, we can now have it all. As we take a moment to bow our heads in prayer, if there's any of us in here feel like I've been trying all my life to reach a certain standard, to make a certain goal, to be right with God, but I can't. And today the Lord Jesus Christ is calling out to you and you don't get to heaven because you meet the requirements. You get to heaven because you declare that you utterly and absolutely cannot do it. And you ask me, Jesus Christ, 
to be your savior and to be your master. As we bow our heads in, in prayer this morning, wonder if there's anyone like this here today. This feels like, you know what? I don't meet the requirements, but I want Jesus in my life. I need his grace in me. Maybe you've been coming to church all of your life or you think that because you, you know, do the right things, you've always thought that that meant you could go to heaven. The reality is that we are woefully inadequate. Only Jesus can save. Maybe there's some in here who feel like I need to give my life to Christ. I need to give my life to Jesus. You know, I don't want to uh, embarrass, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or jump up and down or anything like that. But if that's you, as the rest of us are praying or meditating, reflecting with our eyes closed, that's you. I just want to ask that you would raise your hand and I want to recognize you so I can pray for you. If anyone like that just feels like, you know what, I need God's grace in my life. I can't do it apart from him. I can't get to heaven apart from him. I can't be a part of the kingdom apart from grace. That's you. There's, you know, there's no pressure. Okay, thank you. If there's anyone else, there's about three, three folks here so far. If there's anyone else just feels like, you know what, that's, that's me. That's my life. Okay, thanks. See ya. In a moment, I'm going to um, pray a prayer and just invite all of us to pray it together. But in the moment, let's reflect for those four of y'all who raise your hand. Just ask the Lord, Jesus, would you make grace real? Capture my heart, win my heart. And for others, maybe you feel like you've been walking with the Lord Jesus for some time. Just want to invite you to pray. Pray for those who don't know the message of grace, but also pray for yourself. So many people are not lost because they're bad. They're lost because they're good and they think that they're good enough. And maybe that's some of us in here also. Like, I don't need Jesus because I've done it all myself. Wherever we are, let's take a moment to come before the Lord in prayer. Let's just pray in our own ways, in our own word. Let's just pray quietly in our hearts and ask the Lord God, Jesus, may your grace continue to amaze me and continue to woo me and, and, and cause me to be lost in wonder. Let's pray together uh, for a few moments on your own, and then um, I'll pray for us and, and, and lead us in a prayer, uh, maybe for those who want to ask the Lord Jesus and invite them for the first time into their lives. But let's pray. Let's take a moment right now to come to the Lord just in, in, in the quiet of our hearts for about a minute or so, just asking the Lord, Jesus, make your grace more and more real to me. Let's pray. For those of us in here who have already, you feel like you've begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer again as a reminder of the essentials of our faith and that message that you believed. 
And for those maybe who for the first time want to give your life to Jesus Christ, it's a simple invitation. I just um, ask that you would repeat this prayer after me in the quiet of your hearts as you pray to our Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you that you are holy and that you are perfect. We could not worship a God who was anything less. At the same time, we recognize that we are not perfect. I am not holy. I did not meet the standard. I didn't meet the requirement. I failed. And as I failed, I hurt you. I hurt myself. And I hurt others. But thank you that you so love the world that you sent your only son. His name was Jesus Christ. He met the requirements. And he died on the cross to take my sin. I believe that. So Jesus, come into my heart. Be my savior. Be my master. Help me to live a life that honors you. I love you because you love me first. In Jesus' name we pray.